Open your Bible with me this evening to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Nehemiah, chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, Nehemiah 8, verse 1. Let's hear the Lord's infallible, inspired word. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah, and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Adijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. And God will add his blessing to the reading from his word for his name's sake. Would you bow with me for a moment in a word of prayer? Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we turn to thy throne before we turn to thy word. 
we pray that thou wilt give us that light from heaven upon the scriptures. These people were full of joy because they understood thy word. We pray that will indeed be our experience this night. We will have that same rapt attention to the word of God that they had. And may the word of the Lord this evening be a source of great blessing and strengthening of thy people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It had been a mournful morning that, that day in Jerusalem, the first day of the seventh month, from the morning until noon. Uh, at least three hours. Ezra had opened the book of the law of the Lord and read to the people who filled the streets of Jerusalem. No one was watching the clock, so to speak. Can't wait until he's done so we can get on with life. Hours. He read the law of the Lord. You also gather tonight that the moment he opened up the book, they stood up for hours. They stood listening attentively to the Lord's law being read. They listened carefully to the exegesis, that is, the interpretation of what was being read and the application that was being made by the Levites. Preaching is not only reading the Word of God and explaining the Word of God, it's also making application. This is what it means to you where you're living right now. And that's what they were doing that day. They read distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. It's obvious that the Word of God cut deeply into their hearts when the preaching went on and the explaining and the application because we're told that all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. The preaching of God's Word had brought to light their sin, their transgressions. It was now in plain view. Their understanding has increased. They realized something they had not realized before. They were convinced and convicted of their failures and their follies before God, a holy God, and all they could do was stand there and weep. It must have been wonderful when the Word of God has such a ministry in the hearts of the Lord's people when it searches those hidden parts of the soul and brings everything to the light of day, how precious it is when there is a tenderness to the law of the Lord. And it's not just 
the response of the same old, same old ho-hum. They were broken by what they heard. It would have been quite something to behold thousands of people because they were filling the streets. Thousands of people weeping openly. They weren't trying to stifle a tear. They were weeping openly and profusely because they understood the personal application of God's Word to their own soul, and they felt its power. Deep conviction. But it isn't long before Nehemiah and Ezra call upon the people to stop weeping and to start rejoicing. The law, it was obvious, had done its work. Now was the time to pour in the balm of healing. So you read in verses 9 and 10, he tells them, This day is holy. Go your way, eat the fat, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that they were broken and repentant, now that they gave clear evidence that they saw their folly and that they wanted to return to the Lord and obey His word, they were told to rejoice. And that's really the only time you can tell people to do that. You can't say, be happy, and go ahead and have your sin. You can't say, go off and have a great time and rejoice when there has been no shame and no sadness over the sins. But because there had been, they tell them to now rejoice, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The man who never knows what it is to mourn over his sin will never know what it is to rejoice in the forgiveness of his sin. They go hand in hand. God wounds before he heals. He makes you sad before he makes you glad. It's always in that order. As one preacher put it, the glad news of the gospel can only be printed on wet paper, wet from the tears of the Lord's people. Tears and mourning, of course, are all the lot of those whom God would make happy. It is one, the ones who mourn in Zion that come to appreciate the very things that really bring happiness to the soul. How good it is to have a heart filled with joy after a long, long season of sorrow. There's nothing, there's nothing like what Jeremiah and Ezra call here the joy of the Lord. And that's what I want to say a few things about. Tonight, it's this joy of the Lord. The first thing I want to bring out from this text, it's quite obvious, you don't have to have a Levite here to give the sense and the explanation of it. It's the source of the Christian's joy, the source of it. God made, God made man to be happy. He didn't create us to be miserable creatures. He didn't create us to go around mourning all the time. He made us 
to be a happy lot. And because God made us that way, we want to be that way. We don't want to be sad. We don't want to be mournful. We, we don't want to be found weeping all the time. We like to be happy. And because God made us happy, not only do we want to be happy, but we look for things to make us happy. Ever since the fall, man's been looking for that which will make him happy. He doesn't particularly put it in those terms, but that's really what he's after. Happiness. The removal of anything that would disturb the happiness. The removal of anything that would get in the way of him having peace of mind and joy in his heart. Because he doesn't want the sorrow, the sadness. Of course, he's looking for this uh, to be given to him from things that are really temporal, things that are earthly, that which is fleeting, that which really has no substance to it. So, so it can't really bring him happiness. It can't really deal with the fears that create the sadness, the anxiety that brings the heart down, the, the worry that robs him of peace of mind. It can't, it can't. The things he looks for, hoping that that will do that, it never, it never works. He's trying to, to take the, 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 the joys of time, right, the joys that occur in time to satisfy the needs of a soul that's eternal. And that can't happen. The devil's got a counterfeit. Anything that's real, as far as God is concerned and the Christian life, the devil produces a counterfeit. And so how many people, as we saw this morning, because their minds, their minds are reprobate, they think that this is real happiness. And it does nothing but bring misery. But the Lord has not left his people to wander from here to yon looking for this joy that is real, it's substantive, and it's lasting. He's told us where to find it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That means it's found in this eternal God and nowhere else. It's not the joy of circumstances. It's not the joy of money. It's not the joy of having a fun time. It's the joy of the Lord. He's the source. Right. Don't miss the clear implication when I make that statement. Once you say, this, this joy finds its source in God, you are immediately, immediately confessing that it is known through His Word. It is His Word that is a revelation of God. And as we know God, we know joy. You can, you can put the placards up all day long in your home, you can take this text. It's a great text of Scripture. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
You'd memorize it off by heart. But I am telling you what that is clearly saying is that, let me, let me borrow from Paul's words, peace and joy through believing. Through believing. Believing what? Believing God. What I believe about God. I believe what God says in His Word about God. That's how I find this, this joy that brings me happiness and brings me peace of mind. You see, because worry is a killer of joy. Fear is a killer of joy. The key is knowing God. So, what's that mean? When I say that the source of the Christian's joy is the Lord, and that we get to know that from His Word, it means, number one, if I, if I engage as a child of God, if I engage in a study of, in a contemplation of God's attributes, who He is, His perfections, what make God God, then surely if I contemplate that, since He is the source of my joy, then I am going to have joy comes from knowing Him. No, what we would rather have, however, let's, let's be honest, what we would rather have is wake up in the morning and just immediately just be full of joy. And have our day just full of joy. And not have a worry, not have a fear. Be able just to blow off problems that arise. I'm happy. But that's not how it works. Never has. Study. Contemplation. We know that joy is not going to be found from this world. We've, we, as we said this morning, isn't this wonderful how it all ties in? We've, said, we, we've tried what the world says brings happiness, and we've had enough of it. We know. I spent three years smoking pot and doing drugs, trying to find peace of mind and joy and happiness. I drank the liquor to try to find some calm in my soul, but it just made matters worse for me. It made my life miserable. I know that I'm not going to find it in the world. I know it's found in the Lord. You see... We know we are to lift up our head heavenward. Now that being true, if, if we're going to be joyful, understanding it's just not going to presto changeo, I'm now happy. Then we will study and we will contemplate who God is. Perfections. What do you know about God? Well, anything you know about God, you know from His Word, because it is His Word that reveals who God is. Now, the more you know His Word, the more you know about God. You don't want to depend upon what men say about God. You've got to find out for yourself what God says about Himself. And you find out about 
who is this God? What do you know about God? Well, we, we know that God is wise. It's not just that he's omniscient, that he knows everything. But certainly part and parcel to his omniscience is his ability to take his perfect, infinite knowledge and achieve everything he has purposed to achieve. That's wisdom. So, when I don't know what to do, and what I, when I don't know what to do, when I'm, when I'm at wit's end corner, and I don't have any answers, and I find myself distraught, I contemplate, well, you know, I don't know what to do, but God does. And while I cannot understand what the Lord is doing, He understands what He's doing. And He's always acting wisely. It's never a foolish moment with God. It's never a misread of the situation as it is with us. He doesn't make a mistake. The plan is perfect because he's all wise. Now I I can see how knowing that about God can bring peace and joy through believing that. To my soul. We know that he's omnipotent. We've been taught that for years. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Any, anything, any circumstance, any person, any problem, any trial, is it too hard for him? Is it beyond his power to address to work it out, to give the answer. Not if you know God and you know that He's omnipotent and there's nothing impossible with Him. Isn't it true that a lot of our sadness comes and the worry comes and the fear comes because all we're thinking about, what we're contemplating is not what God's Word says about God, but what we're thinking about is ourselves and what we don't have the power to do and what we don't have the power to change and we don't have the power to fix. And so down we go. We know, we know from reading God's Word But God is faithful. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. We know that. Well, I I, I say to you, peace and joy through believing, it's through knowing that and believing that, that you will find yourself rejoicing. He's, He's... I, I am not that faithful believer I ought to be. What Christian would not admit that? What Christian walking on the face of this earth who knows their own hearts will say, I am as faithful as I should be. They're, they're, they're living in dreamland.
And your unfaithfulness brings you down. But wait a minute, I, I have a God who is faithful, even when I'm not faithful. His, his promises are, will be fulfilled, even when I break mine to him. We know that God is love. It's one of his perfections. He is love. Not just loving, he is love. God is love. Surely, brothers and sisters, knowing that, not just this theological fact, but knowing, believing, embracing that God has loved me with an everlasting love. I, I, can, I can find plenty of cause to rejoice in that. When I contemplate those things, I find my joy in the Lord. His wisdom becomes my guide, right? And I don't know where to go or what to do. His power is my strength in my weakness. His, his faithfulness is, is, is my security when I'm afraid. God is the one who said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Oh, how blessed to call him mine. So, you see, it begins with this contemplation of, of God's attributes because he's the source of it. This joy also comes from a sense of being accepted by God. Not only his attributes, but his acceptance. You see, they were all weeping because they saw their sin. They saw that it had come between them and God. And they saw there's, a, the, the, there's something between us. And, and the, the Lord is not happy with this. And they felt that distance that it put between them and the Lord. But once, once, these uh, Ezra and Nehemiah said, Weep not, stop the crying. Don't be sorry. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a holy day. And there was great mirth then. You know what they were telling them? Listen, God has pardoned your sin. He's forgiven you your sin. You're accepted by him. He's not rejecting you. Now, now I can rejoice. When you know that the wrath of God, a wrath that will burn in all of its fullness in hell, to know that that wrath has been appeased, to know that the sin which kept me from God has been removed once and for all, to know that I am accepted fully and absolutely and irre irreversibly by the Lord into the family of God, I tell you, now that will give the child of God a source of happiness. Because sin brings misery. And I only have one answer for my sin. I am accepted in Christ. I have been adopted by God into his family. I have been reconciled to him. He won't disown me because of my failures. He won't cast me away because of my unfaithfulness. 
He won't break his covenant with me. He has sworn by his own name because he can swear by nothing higher. I'm going to be his God forever. And he will be my child forever. Now I can sink my teeth into that and enjoy it. I can understand that God would pity me being the sad creature that I am. I can understand God showing me mercy because he's such a merciful God. But for him to love me, for, for this holy one to love one who is so unholy, for the infinite one to love a worm, you might say, that, that I don't understand. But I know one thing, he has made me a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And I am one of his beloved children. I am one of those, I am one of those for whom Christ Jesus gave his life, one for whom he made atonement for my sin, and now I have a standing in him before God, and he will never, ever, ever turn me away and never say, I am done with you. Get out of my sight. Oh, no. Where's the cause for happiness? This joy of the Lord, since it comes from the Lord, comes from something else related to God, and that's the assurance that our future, whatever it might hold, God guarantees that it will be good. Now, that's certainly true concerning the affairs of this life. What is it that leaves the unconverted, those who know nothing of God at all, leaves them in the depths of despondency? What is it that takes away what they thought was going to bring them happiness? They, they, they find there's no, there, there's no joy in it. In short, it's the fear of what tomorrow will bring. He feels himself left to the hands of fate, or what they would say, luck. When he finds himself in the midst of troubles, perhaps it's financial reversals, or when death is looming over the horizon, what hope does he have? He has his future. His future is bleak. It is bleak. But there's a difference in the child of God. Because his God tells them, I'm guaranteeing you. God says, I am guaranteeing you that everything that happens to you in this life is going to be for your good. Count on it. Never doubt it.
because Jesus doeth all things well. I often find myself signing off in emails to people that I write. Jesus, and I underline, still does all things well. Still. You see, you, you and I who believe the Bible... This is the one, this is where it comes back to faith. You and I believe that there is this sovereign God, the ruler in heaven, the king of all kings, who is directing everything that happens according to his own will. I don't run away from that. I embrace it. I'm not afraid of it. Not afraid to preach it, not afraid to teach it. God is God. He is absolutely sovereign in everything. He does as He wills all the time. And you would expect that from a God that you know who is omnipotent and all wise. He will do what He wants. Now, that's not so good if you're lost. But all for the believer, this absolute sovereign king has promised us, guaranteed, that those things, even the bad things, it's all part of my plan. I've ordered it for you. This, this part here? Yep, that was me. I had that set up before you were created before you were brought into existence, before this universe came in. I had that all planned out. Even our failures are encompassed within the plan of God. No, the Lord is not the author of sin, neither indeed can be. He cannot tempt men to sin, but I will tell you this, it's all part of the plan of God. It doesn't take Him by surprise. I mean, you really can't believe that when you know that He is omniscient. He knew everything you were ever going to do, everything you were ever going to say, every reaction you would have to everything in life. He knew it all in advance. And brothers and sisters, everything that we're afraid of, everything, you just name it, you just nail it down tonight, everything that you're afraid of that robs you of your happiness and your joy, everything has all been included in this sovereign plan of God. It's been ordered by the Almighty. And he says, I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to make it work together for your good. Fact is, we know, we know how this is going to end. We know it. And it's a happy ending. You talk about living happily ever after? The world has no idea. But this is not a fairy tale. This is not a fiction book. 
This is reality. We will live happily ever after. So I can take a whole lot of trials and troubles and suffering knowing that. This is going to end on a good note. Which would lead me to say that this joy in knowing that Our future in the next life is as secure as the one in this life. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. I'm convinced, he says, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. How many times in your Christian life have you been lifted out of the doldrums, out of the gloom and the doom by the truths of that hymn, It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with the righteous. There's nothing like that joy for the child of God. It's well with us now, and it will be well with us when it comes time to die. It will be well with our souls. Why is that? Well, David put it like this in Psalm 48, This God is our God forever and ever, and He will be our guide even unto death. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? There are going to be deep waters that we'll have to go through. There's a lot of battles we're going to have to fight. There are many crosses we're going to have to bear. Many tears that we'll have to shed. But when, as the hymn hymn put it, when we've walked the last mile of the way, we shall see the great king in his beauty. We will lay our weapons down and we'll enter the gates of the golden city. One day, I shall see him. One day, I'll be like him. One day, I will stand with the redeemed and sing that song. wonder what the tune will be like. (laughs) Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I'll be singing. Wondering 
Why in the world was I not more joyful than I was? Why was I afraid? What need have we to worry about the future life? Because God is not a fickle God. He's not the one, unlike man, who loves us today and stops loving us tomorrow. He is the I am that I am. He promises, I'll always be what I've always been. I don't change. I'll always love you. You'll never do anything that will make me stop loving you. You're mine, you're mine forever, and I'm yours, and I'm yours forever. Nothing will separate us. I've got you. I've got you. You won't fall through my arms. I'll hold you up. I'll keep you as the apple of mine eye. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. I say that's a cause to rejoice. Is that not what makes us strong? Is joy? This joy comes from something else. It comes from abiding in God. Abiding. Christ told his disciples before going to the cross, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except that abide in the vine, no more ye except ye abide in me. He goes on to speak of them in that same context, John chapter 15, the fruit of fullness of joy being a result of abiding in him. Dwelling. In that portion, the Lord speaks of a union that we have with him. He is the vine, we're the branches, we are united to him, and all spiritual life flows from him into us. But he goes from union to communion. From being united to me to fellowshipping with me. Dwelling. Dwelling. Remaining. That's what the word abide means, to remain, to stay in a place, to lodge, or to dwell. It's in stark contrast, you know, with an occasional visit. Our home is our dwelling place. We don't just visit there once in a while. We actually, we actually dwell there. It's not something temporary. And so the Lord is speaking to his disciples in that, in that place of holding continual fellowship with him. 
You see, I believe with all of my heart that one of the, if not the greatest reason why there is not more joy, more fruitfulness in this joy, this, 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 this grace of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is because there is so little, so little abiding, so little fellowship with the Lord, so little communing with Him. I'm convinced of it. And you perhaps are sitting there thinking, well, preacher, how do you know? You don't live with me. You don't know how often I read the Word and how often I pray, how long I read the Word, how long I pray. You're right, I don't, nor nor you I. I just know that the Lord said, you abide in me, there will be fullness of joy. You dwell in fellowship with me. You stay in constant touch with me and communion with me. You'll have fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. You'll be strong. You'll be spiritually strong. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now you know these disciples had a very rough road ahead of them. It was a road that was filled with rocks and troubles and persecutions, temptations and great sacrifice. And so the Lord leaves them the key to dealing with it all, to keeping his joy in their hearts, keeping them strong, abide in me. Because in my presence is fullness of joy, and when you're full of the joy of the Lord, you're full of the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord that strengthens us from day to day is only going to be found by abiding close to Christ, living near to Him, walking and talking with Him. So, you know, what what actually the Lord is saying here is, you will pretty much determine how your day is going to go. Each day. And I can tell you, it works exactly like that. Oh, I've got so much to do. <laughs> so much on the plate. I, I, just, I just got time here to read a chapter and a few minutes in prayer and I'm off. Inevitably. I am not full of the Lord's joy on those days. Contrary-wise, sweetness of communion, it's a great day no matter what happens. Aaron will remember this this past week. 
He said, Dad, huh, and I won't go through all what happened in that one day, but it was like, boom, 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 boom. Not having a good day, huh? I, I didn't say anything to him. Just took it on board. And I remembered I rushed out of the Lord's presence that morning. Had so much to do. And nothing really got done. And I wasn't happy. And I can also testify in other days it's been sweet time with the Lord in prayer and the Word. And Oh, I don't mean there weren't problems for the day, but it didn't take away my joy. I knew everything was okay. This is all part of the plan. In God's presence is fullness of joy. There are issues with the hymn, and I won't go into them now, but there's parts of the hymn that are just so lovely. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known. That's what it feels like. No one else knows what this is like. Tarrying. Tarrying. We'll come back next week, God willing, to the rest of this. I won't end glibly by saying, as the world says, don't worry, be happy. I would rather say, be still and know God. May you write his word on our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we thank thee that thou hast given us not only the reason to rejoice, but the ability to rejoice. We thank Thee that joy is a fruit of the Spirit as much as love and joy is a fruit. Love and peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And we pray, Lord, for that strength that comes through joy. We need strength, Lord. The early dew of morning is passed away at noon. When we live in our misery and our gloom, we're a very weak people. Seems it takes nothing to knock us over, to disrupt our day and our, our peace of mind. Now we pray that thou wilt increase the joy as we dwell in the presence of the Lord. And our Savior's name we pray, and for his glory we ask it. Amen. Amen.